Parshas Lechelcha opens up with Hashem telling Avram, Lechelcha me'artzacha me'ladacha me'zavicha, leave your father's house. Avram takes Lot and takes his wife, and they go to Eretz Canaan, and very shortly thereafter, as when he's in Eretz Yisrael, there's a famine. But it's only a famine in that land. Everywhere else there's plenty. In Eretz Yisrael alone there's nothing to eat. Vayered Avram Mitzrayim, Avram goes down to Mitzrayim. And then a series of events happen. The first series of events is, he says to his wife, the Mitzrayim are not too reliable, they're going to kill me, to take you, tell, tell them that you're my sister. They tell everyone that Sarah is his sister. Sarah is taken to the base Paro, and Paro tries to marry her, unsuccessful. And in the end, Avram and Sarah leave Mitzrayim and go back to Canaan. Now, you have to appreciate the fact that Avram clearly had a Nisayan here. The Mishnah tells us, Asar Nisyonos. There were ten Nisyonos that Avram Avinu was tested with. But the Bartanur explains that the test was not, would Avram Avinu listen? Meaning Hashem said, Lech Lecha. Hashem said, go. Then when he gets to Canaan, he has to leave. There's nothing to eat. The question wasn't whether Avram would listen to Hashem. The question was, would Avram be Mahara Achamidosov? would Avram ask a question on Hashem? Meaning, I get to Canaan, the promised land, and as soon as I get there, there's nothing to eat. Not only that, I have to go down to Mitzrayim. And my wife is taken. <clears throat> right away, my wife is taken to the par- to Paro. There were many, many questions that Avram should have asked, but he passed every one of these. These are three of the Nishonos, and then Avram Avinu passed. And for eternity, this is one of the grand jewels in the crown of Avram, he passed this, these Nisyonos. He did not question Hashem. He didn't ask why. And that's very interesting. But if you appreciate what an Nisyon is, I think we have a very important lesson to learn here. You see, the Ramban explains a test is something that I give to a class. Let's say I'm a teacher, and I don't know what the students do know, what they don't know. I give them a test. When I give them a test, then when I see the answers, I then learn and know what they do and don't know. But this is a Kaddish Baruch Hu, this is Hashem. Hashem knows exactly what Avram's holding. Explains the Ramban, a Nisayin is an opportunity to take something from the potential and to actualize it. A person could work for many, many years, but he's given a Nisayin as the opportunity to concretize that, to put that into an action, to solidify it. If you'd like a muscle, imagine a fellow trained to the Olympics. He's a runner. And he's training for 10 years. And the day, the day of the Olympic trials, he breaks his leg. All those years of training are relevant. It comes to fruition. It comes to one point, and you go for the gold. You either win it or you don't. That's what an assignment is. You put in the work. You put in years and years of labor. And it comes to fruition in one opportunity to really concretize it. And in fact, we now live in the schos of Avram Avinu. And the Akeda and the various Nishonos that Avram went through, each one was a jewel in his crown, and each one are things that keep the Kalei today still in existence because they were monumental, gargantuan accomplishments. And the only thing that's interesting to note is that the Ramban says that Avram Vino made a big mistake. Says the Ramban, Chet Godel Chata Avram Avinu Avram Vinu sinned, a great sin, Bishogeg, unintentionally, but he sinned. Why? Because when he got to Canaan, there was nothing to eat. He should have trusted Hashem. He should have remained there. He failed. 
He didn't trust Hashem and he had to go down to Mitzrayim. And then he failed again. <clears throat> when he got to Mitzrayim, he should have known, yes, the, the Mitzrayim are not reliable, <clears throat> they're very, very wicked people, but Hashem will protect you. Why did you lie? Why did you ask Sarah to say that she's your sister? That's why she got taken to the base Paro. Again, he failed. And the Ramban says these words, He did a great sin, it was unintentionally, but clearly he failed. Now here's the problem. How could the Ramban tell us that he failed when these are three of the Nishonos that Avram Avinu passed? There are ten Nishonos. The Mishnah lists ten Nishonos that Avram Avinu was challenged with, and each one he passed. And again, the entire test was, would he question Hashem? And each one he passed with flying colors, each one he came out glorious. And yet the Ramban saying that he made a mistake, he sinned, he shouldn't have gone down. The question is, how do we understand this Ramban? How does Ramban fit with the Mishnah? How do we understand the Ramban saying that he failed when clearly these are a number of the tests that he succeeded greatly with? So to understand the answer to this question, I'd like to share with you an interesting episode. It was a little while ago, I got a call from a from psychiatrist. And here's the problem. He says, I have this fellow, yeshiva boy, very fine boy. The guilt is killing him. He's being destroyed by guilt. He's involved with a certain thing that Bachram do, shouldn't be doing, but he does. He feels he can't stop, but that's not the problem. The problem is the guilt is destroying him. He's not functioning. What could I say to him? Now, here's the problem. What am I going to tell you? It's mutter, it's kamevi mabal lolam. It's certainly not permitted. Tell him it's forbidden. It's like pouring kerosene on the guy's fire. You're going to destroy him. So I tried to explain to this from psychiatrist a perspective that I wanted him to share with this young man. And to share with you that perspective, let me share with you an interesting Gemara. Gemara tells us, Arba, there were four people who died only because of the sin of Adam Rishon. You see, when Adam Rishon sinned, Hashem was goes, Hashem decreed Misa, no matter how great you are, no matter how perfect you are, you have to die, and you have to go to Olam Shamos and then Tchias Mason. But there were four people who were perfect, Sadikim. They didn't deserve to die. And in fact, it, if it weren't for the fact that Adam Arishan received that curse, these four people would not have died. Who are these four great Sadikim would never sinned? Binyamin Ben Yaakov, Binyamin the son of Yaakov, Amram Avi Moshe, Amram the father of Moshe, Yishai the father of David, and Kalav the son of David. These four Sadikim were so pure, so holy, they never sinned. And by all rights, they should have lived for eternity. But again, because of Adam Rishon's sin, everyone had to die. Now here's the question that Rabbi Dvidovitz Rishivarach just asked. These four people were great, no question about it. But they aren't the greatest in the annals of history. I mean, if you'd like to know who the greatest people were, we know. Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, David, Shlomo. Those were the greats. The true greats were the Avos, Moshe, Beno, Aaron, Cohen. But these four people are nowhere near the level of the ultimate great people in the Klyasrol. As a matter of fact, every one of the fathers or sons in this list is far greater than the perfect Sadik. Binyamin, the son of Sadik, Binyamin never sinned, but Yaakov Avinu did. Amram, the father of Moshe, never sinned, but Moshe did. Yishai, the father of David, never sinned, but David did. So here's the question. If these four people were such Sadikim that they never sinned, why is it that they're not amongst the ultimate greats? And why is it that the Ovos, Moshe Benu, Aaron Cohen tower over him? Why is it that this isn't the hallmark 
of true perfection. And if you'd like to know the answer to this question, I have a moshal I think is very, very important to recognize. Imagine I have in my hands two diamonds. Each diamond is 10 carats, a huge stone. In my left hand is a 10-carat stone that's beautiful, near perfect, beautiful color, very, very clean, a very small flaw. You can see it with a loop, but only with a loop, but it's a beautiful diamond. And in my right hand is a 10-carat diamond, completely flawless, internally, externally, a perfect diamond. Now, you would imagine that the difference between the near flawless diamond and the flawless diamond would be astronomical. And you'd be correct. The near-perfect diamond, the diamond with a very small flaw at 10 carats, is worth hundreds of thousands, if not a million dollars or more, because that's the value of a 10-carat diamond that's near flawless. And the perfectly flawless diamond at 10 carats would be worth about $200, because a perfectly flawless diamond is only made in the lab. The first thing they look for to see if the diamond is real or not is the flaw. Because every diamond that comes out of the ground has some imperfection, albeit very small, albeit tiny, but the proof that the diamond is real is the flaw. And if you find a diamond that's completely flawless, no one understands it's a fake, because flawless diamonds don't come out of the ground. And I believe that's exactly how Rabbi Duritz explained this Gemara. You see, it is true. These four people never sinned. Binyamin, Amram, Yishai, Kalab, they never sinned. But you see, the greatness of the human being is not not sinning, it's what you accomplish. Oh, you can't sin, and you have to avoid sin, and you have to do your best not to. But the mark of the man is not whether you sinned or not. The mark of the man is what you accomplished, how great you became, how much you did. And it's true that every one of the others had a flaw. Every one of the others had a shortcoming. They made a mistake, they did things wrong, but that did not make them worthless. That made them a 200-carat diamond with a flaw, but brilliant beyond description. And the flawless diamond, although they were perfect, they did not reach anywhere near the Avos. As a matter of fact, one of the four, Kalev, the son of David, I remember when I first learned this Gemara, I had to look up how to pronounce his name because I didn't remember. Kalev, one of the sons of David. Yes, the second son of David. But who ever heard of him? And as great as he was, and believe me, he was a tremendous tzaddik, he was nowhere near the level of the others, and certainly nowhere near the level of David. Because you see, again, it's what you accomplish. And part of being a human being is that you're going to trip up. Part of being a human being is you're going to make mistakes. Part of human being is you're going to have flaws. But that doesn't make the diamond worthless. That proves that it's a real diamond, and because real people make mistakes, real people make missteps, and as great as the others were, every one of them had a flaw, albeit very small, but they had a flaw, but they were 200-carat diamonds, brilliant, shining, with a very, very tiny flaw. And I asked this psychiatrist to explain to this yeshiva bacha that he has two nishonos, two tests in front of him, a small one and a major one. And the small one is the one that he's grappling with. But the major one is the one that will either make him or break him. You see, the invader that he's involved with, okay, he does work on it, he doesn't work on it, whatever. But you see, if he implodes, if he allows the guilt to kill him, I guarantee he'll become no one. You see, if he learns to deal with the guilt and learns to say, okay, listen, I'm not a tzaddik, I'm not perfect, 
he can grow, he can accomplish, he can become a tremendous person. In a later point in life, maybe when he's married, maybe at a future point, he can do tshuva, he can clean it up, but he'll be a great person who had a flaw, did tshuva, cleaned it up, and for eternity he'll be a sterling individual. But if he allows the guilt to destroy him now, he'll be nothing, he'll be a nobody. And he'll implode, and I explained to him that the little Nisayan is the actual thing he's involved in, the much bigger Nisayan is will he allow the guilt to kill him, and I believe this concept is actually the answer to Avram Avinu. It is true, as Ramban said, Avram Avinu failed. Had he been even greater, he would have come to Canaan, see that there was no food, and say, I trust Hashem. There's no question, there was a flaw. But nevertheless, he went down to Mitzrayim unflinchingly, without asking a question, without a thought, he went down trusting Hashem. When he got to Mitzrayim, there's no question, had he been a higher level of Bitochen, he would have said, this is my wife, and he would have trusted Hashem. And he failed in that. But he went, when his wife was taken, with absolute trust in Hashem. You see, there were flaws in Avram Avinu. But he was a brilliant individual. And each one of those acts was a 50-carat, 200-carat diamond with a flaw. But again, the flaw doesn't prove that it's worthless. The flaw proves that it's real. And again, had Avram Avinu been on a greater level, maybe he wouldn't have had to gone down to Mitzrayim. And it's true. And that little element, he made a mishap. But within that act is one of the great acts of his life, one of the jewels in the crown of history. That very act that was his failure, and the very act that the Ramban says is Chet Gadol, was one of his shining stars for eternity, one of his shining jewels, and because he didn't succumb to the despondency, he didn't wasn't broken, he acted with tremendous trust in Hashem regardless, and he acted as he was supposed to. And I believe this concept is a very, very powerful, powerful, and very, very important concept. You see, we walk around in the Western world with the sense of, I can't have a flaw. If I have a flaw, then I'm worthless. I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. I, I'm, a, I'm a zero. And we do everything in our power to cover them up and to whitewash them and to deny them even to ourselves. And I'd like to share with you, if you have no flaws, then you have no business being on this planet. I hope that you have things that you need to work on. I hope that you have things that you do wrong. Because you see, if you were perfect, you'd be done your job on this planet. Hashem put us here to grow, to accomplish, to change the essence of me. If you really were perfect, if there was nothing wrong with you, you'd have no reason to be here, and it'd be tzayslam l'shalom, it's over. I sure do hope that you, as everyone else has flaws, have things that they need to work on, and things that they need to focus on, but understanding that that doesn't make me worthless, understanding that that doesn't make me a worthless individual is one of the most difficult things for us to get and for us to understand. And I'll share with you a little bit of a, of a concept. If you wake up in the morning and you feel that you're not failing in at least one area of life, if you wake up and you don't feel that you're really failing in at least one area in life, I share with you, you're failing at life. Because if you understood life, you don't understand that life is about growing. Life is about changing. Life is about setting lofty goals, inspiring goals. And no matter how good you are, 
If you set real goals, you're going to make some, you're going to miss some, and there are going to be areas that you fail in. And the only people who have this attitude of, I'm good in every, I'm doing fine, I'm doing, I am batting a hundred, are people who don't understand life. If you think life is just whatever, we're here, okay, you're right. If you're not setting goals, if you're not demanding of yourself, if you're not looking yourself in the mirror and saying, who am I? Am I changing? Am I growing? Am I accomplishing? If you're not doing that, then you're likely you'll succeed in every, every... I'm perfect. All areas... Listen, I'm not saying I'm tzaddik, I'm not saying I'm great, but listen, in a Baruch Hashem, I'm, I'm doing good in, in all areas of life. And all that means is that you fundamentally don't understand life. Because life is about challenges. Life is about setting goals. Life is about understanding that I have to set very, very lofty, inspiring goals and I have to recognize the fact that likely I'm not going to meet a lot of them. And getting comfortable with that concept requires a lot of time, a lot of self-esteem, and a lot of self-equilibrium. And I'd like to teach you a very important life lesson. You know, certain life lessons they don't teach you in school, Maybe you learn how to win, but one life lesson that they don't teach you in school is how to fail. And now I would like to teach you how to fail. If you would like to know how to fail, it's really quite simple. When you dropped the ball, when you blew it, but I mean you really blew it, you said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing, you really messed up, what you do is you look yourself in the mirror. You look at the two eyes looking back at you and you say these words, I failed. But that doesn't mean I'm a failure. I failed. I messed up. There's no question. Guilty as charged. I blew it. I should not have done what I did and I did it and there's no excuse. But that doesn't mean that I'm a failure. I have many other strengths, many other talents, many things that I did succeed at. The problem we get into is when the I failed gets translated into I'm a failure. And the ability to say, yes, I failed. There's no question that I failed. There's no question that I blew it. And yet be able to say the words that doesn't mean I'm a failure is the key to growth. Why? Because if you can't admit that you failed, you can't grow. If you can't admit your mistakes, you can't change. If you can't admit to others, and certainly if you can't at least admit it to yourself, you can't work on things, you can't change. If you need to be perfect, or I'm going to implode, if any flaw in me and I, my self-esteem is going to come crumbling down, I'm going to become a, 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 just a, a cookie, broken, then I have some bad news for you. You can't grow, you can't change, and you're stuck where you are. And the ability to look yourself in the eye and say, I failed, I really did mess up. And there is no excuse, I should not have done it. But that doesn't mean I'm a failure. I have many other successes, and many other things I accomplished, and in Yitzh Hashem, one day I'm going to clean this up as well. But being comfortable with that is something that requires an awful lot of work and an awful lot of courage. And if you'd like to see one of the most courageous examples of that, let's look at David HaMelech. Dovra Melech failed the greatest Nisayan of his life. Hashem offered him an opportunity. He said to Hashem, Bachanani, test me. He asked Hashem, why is it that the others are much greater than I? Why are they in a different level? 
And Hashem says to them, because they I tested, you I haven't tested, says David, test me. And Hashem said, fine, I'm going to test you in the area of Arias. <clears throat> and shortly thereafter, <clears throat> the entire event with Bathsheba happened. But here's the point. David Melech blew it. The biggest test of his life, he failed. He called for Bathsheba, <clears throat> she was at the time in Ashish Ish, and he lived with her. And even though it's true that retroactively she was divorced because her husband was killed in battle and retroactively was divorced, but the bottom line was that the entire Klai Yisrael knew that the Melech Yisrael, the Mechabrit Tehillim, the holiest Jew, maybe alive at the time, lived with a married woman. And if you'd like to know the pain that Dovra Melech experienced, read the words in Tachanun. We say them daily. Yagasi Banchasi, my groan shook my bed. My, my tears filled my bedding. Each night he'd be crying in total, total, absolute despondency. So here's my question. What bridge did Dovra Melech jump off of? I mean, he blew it, right? The entire Jewish nation knows that he lived in sin. And the entire Jewish nation knows that what he did was wrong. So which bridge did he jump? How did he end his life? Right? I mean, it's over, right? And the Shiach, the chosen of Hashem, the anointed of Hashem, the father of Hashem, it's all over with toast, done, no, no more, done, finished, right? But the interesting answer is David Melch did not jump off a bridge. David Melch did tshuva, a very, very bitter and very, very powerful tshuva for years and years and years. But today, if you want to count the seven greatest people, it's Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, David, Shlomo. Up there in the seven greatest human beings who ever walked this planet is Dovra Melech. Despite the fact that he failed. And this ability to say, yes, I failed, but that doesn't mean I'm a failure. It doesn't mean I'm worthless. It doesn't mean I'm a slime. It doesn't mean I'm a worm that cries, crawls in the ground. That ability to say, yes, I messed up, and I admit my guilt, guilty as charged, and to still carry on, is something that requires a tremendous amount of courage, and it takes training. And the first thing you have to do is train yourself to be brave to yourself. You have to train yourself to look in the mirror and say, I blew it, I messed up. And when you get really, really good at that, but it it takes a long time, but when you get really, really, really good at it, then you're ready for stage two, the real test. The real test is when you messed up to somebody else. Can you say the words to them, yes, I was wrong. I was... By the way, I deal with many married couples. As I mentioned, the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. The book is coming out of me, Hashem, shortly. Um, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of married couples. And Baruch Hashem, I've been married myself 34 years. I can tell you, probably the most difficult words for us human beings to ever utter are the words, I was, I was, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't right. I, 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 I was wrong. And it's the strangest thing. She knows I was wrong. I know I was wrong. I know that she knows that I was wrong. And I can't say the word. But she knows it. I know. 
Why can't I utter the words? And the moral fortitude to stand up and say the words, I was wrong and there is no excuse, is one of the greatest learning achievements you can accomplish and one of the greatest self-growth milestones you can reach. It's easier first to admit it to yourself. It's easier to find the areas that are between you and you, maybe between you and Hashem, in which you messed up, and admit to yourself, yes, I blew it, and get comfortable with that. And get comfortable with the sense that, yes, I am a human being, flawed. A human being as flawed as maybe the others. Halavai, halavai. Halavai, I was one ten-thousandth of the others. But they were flawed. Because every human being has issues, has things. But that doesn't prove that I'm worthless. Much like a diamond. The fact that there's a flaw in the diamond doesn't prove that it's worthless. The opposite. That's what proves that it's a diamond. If you see a great human being, the ultimate great, the reason why Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov became who they were, was because they took huge leaps. And when you take huge leaps forward, sometimes you're going to make missteps. The four people who never sinned in the world, they were great tzaddikim, but nowhere near the others. Because it's not about not sinning. It's about what you accomplish, what you've done, and reaching for lofty, great heights. And I think this Chazal shares with us a tremendous perspective. And that is, that Avram Avinu failed. Says Ramban, Chet Godel, a great sin. Look what he did. Hashem sends him to Canaan, and he leaves. And then he takes his wife, this great Tzadikus, and endangers her life. A terrible sin. Mishogeg, says Ramban, but a terrible sin. And nevertheless, those two events are jewels in his crown for eternity. We live in the merit. Because even though it's true that had it been even greater, he would have trusted Hashem and remained in Canaan. He would have gone down to Mitzrayim maybe even, but wouldn't have said to Paro, this is my sister. So he, on some level there was a flaw, and there was a slight scratch, but nevertheless he did those actions with complete trust in Hashem, never questioned in Hashem, and those are jewels. Those are diamonds with a flaw, and they're a diamond, but that's exactly the point. The flaw doesn't make the diamond worthless. And the flaw proves that it's real, and proves that it's something, and it makes it something very, very real. It's called being a human being. But getting comfortable with that idea, and getting comfortable with the fact that I have flaws, I make mistakes, and getting comfortable with admitting it to myself is one level, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of courage, and the next level is when you're able to admit it to someone else. As an aside, for maybe 20 years, I had a Musser graduation certificate in my study. It was on one of the shelves. I put it in a gold frame. It was my Musser graduation certificate. What was it? I was driving, and uh, I was stopped, and the police officer said to me, do you know why I stopped you? I said, officer, no, I don't. He said, you were driving over the speed limit. I said, officer, I apologize. I tried to obey the law. I apologize. If I was wrong, I'm, I was wrong. I apologize. I'm sorry. He said, what did you say? I said, if I was speeding, I was wrong, and I apologize. There's no excuse. He walked back to his car, came back a few minutes later <clears throat> with a citation, a warning not to speed, and he said, please be more careful. And I took that citation and put it in a gold frame. Why? 
Because do you know how many years it took me to be able to say the words, I was wrong and there is no excuse. By the way, when I said those words to him, I think his jaw dropped. What? Do you understand a highway policeman hears more excuses than a sixth grade teacher hears about not handing in homework? And here someone says the words, I was wrong and there is no excuse. But it took me 20 years of learning Musr to be able to say that. I framed it and it's on my shelf. But you see, getting comfortable with that idea, getting comfortable with the fact that I'm a real flesh and blood human being, I do many good things, but I do things that are wrong. I do great things maybe even, but I also do things that are really not right. And getting comfortable with the fact that I have flaws is the key to my growth. Because only when I recognize that can I set lofty goals, only when I recognize my flaws can I work on them, and only when I recognize what I was put on the planet to do can I really do what I was put here to do. And I have one more step that I'd like to share with you. I think all of us have this someday kind of vision. Yeah, someday I'm going to learn Shas. Someday I'm going to learn Mishnayas perfectly. Someday I'm going to... Someday. And I'd like to share with you the very bad news. That day will never come. You will never finish Shas. You will never master Chumash Rashi. You will never master Mishnayas. You will never open that chesed organization. You will never do it. Because you see, the someday never comes. You get older, you don't get necessarily any wiser, and you don't accomplish more unless you do one thing. Unless you set concrete, real goals. Unless you say, no, I'm tired of this. I will not settle for mediocrity any longer. I will. And you put a date. You put a target date, by this and this date, I will finish this, and you put it in writing. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize. If you learn a blot a day, within about seven odd years, you'll finish Shas. If you spend a half hour a day learning Mishnayas, a parak a day, within a year and a half, you'll finish all of Mishnayas. If you spend a half hour learning Chumash and Rashi, and within a year, you will have a very solid grip on Chumash and Rashi. If you have dreams, if you have aspirations, and you want to do things, you want to accomplish, if you actually set a target, set a target date, and put it in writing, what you do is, you make it real. The difference between dreams and goals are dreams are these one day, one day, those are not goals. A goal is something that has a date, has a real formula, and is, and is in writing. If you write down a goal, and you put it in writing, it's very likely you're going to succeed. But you have to do that. You have to plan it out, map it out, and put it in writing. And you also have to be ready for the fact that likely you're going to miss some of those milestones. If you set lofty enough goals, I guarantee you, there's some you're going to hit, and some that you're not going to. If I had a dollar for every goal that I missed, I'd be a, a wealthy individual. And I have beautiful goals, and they're great, and they're wonderful, and great ideas, and great projects, and great... And I'd like to share with you many of them. I have deep regrets that I didn't do. But what are you going to do? You try. You try. You get back on the horse. Try again. <clears throat> Write down a new goal. Try a new idea. But understanding that this is what life is about. <clears throat> Avram Avinu was a great tzaddik, unimaginable tzaddik, yet he had a flaw. 
so too was Yitzhak, so too was Yaakov, so too certainly was David Melech. The four people who never sinned were nowhere near their greatness. And what the Ramban is teaching us is that within the very act that Avram Avinu failed, in the very act that, that the Ramban says was a hate, was a sin, was his actual greatness, his sterling, his diamond, that very act had a flaw in it. But again, the flaw didn't make the diamond worthless. The flaw proved that he was a real human being, real flaws, but with real potential. And I want to close with one last observation. There is a story that I told over to a fellow, and he learned such wrong shot in the story that I think it's indicative of exactly this point. Let me share with you the story, and then I'll tell you his comment. The story is like this. It was back in the, uh, I think it was the late 70s, and there was a break-in in a bank in France. But this wasn't just a break-in. This was a brilliantly crafted, carefully planned, meticulous break-in. Over a long weekend, these criminals tunneled underneath, they traveled in the sewer, they had a raft, and they went in the raft under the bank. They drilled through 20 feet of concrete from the sewer under the bank into the bank vault. They knew exactly where it was. And they broke into the bank vault, and over a three-day weekend, they broke into about a third of the safe deposit boxes in that vault. They took out diamonds and cash and gold, and they left, went back down the sewer, out the raft, and they were never caught. Now, when the police were called on Monday morning, when the bank was open and they found the vault was in a raid, the police came down and they couldn't believe the scene. And because these guys were so prepared, they had baskets with food, they even had wine that they drank, and they had they spent two and a half days in this vault and they were having a party. They were eating and drinking, but there was not a fingerprint on the place. They wore gloves all the time, no trace of who they were, and it was an to this day an unsolved crime. And I told this story to a friend of mine. And he said to me, wow, those guys are such idiots. Do you realize they're drinking wine, eating, and they only broke into a third of the vaults. Had they spent less time drinking, less time eating, they could have broken into half of the vault. They could have had millions of more dollars. What fools they were. And I realized why he was having a lot of trouble. I said to him, you got it exactly backwards. You see, they understood they have a mighty task in front of them under huge pressure. And if they're not going to eat, if they're not going to relax, they're going to make mistakes, they're going to leave their fingerprints. Because they were true professionals, and they realized there's a time to work and a time to rest, and they even drank and even slept, because they realized that if we're going to be exhausted, if we're going to be fatigued, we're not going to succeed, we're going to fail. But you see, recognizing your strengths, and recognizing your weaknesses, and setting goals that are appropriate to who you are, and recognizing that when you fail, you brush yourself off and say, yes, I'm a human being, and I failed. And when you recognize that you set too lofty a goal, and you can't make it, so you step back and say, you're right, okay, that's beyond my capacity right now. And you set yourself a more modest goal, but you keep on going on. But that ability to recognize your strengths, recognize your weaknesses, yes, it's true that every word of the Torah is a treasure house, 
every mitzvah you can accomplish in this world is beyond, beyond valuable. And at the same time, you have to recognize that you're a human being. And you have to recognize your strengths, your weaknesses, and you have to recognize how much you could push, and when you have to hold back, and you have to be very, very realistic. And when you do that, you ask Hashem for help. Hashem helps you set realistic goals, and you reach Hashem, hopefully you succeed. And now, I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. Please feel free to ask questions. It could be on this um, topic or any other. Do I see Malka for, for a wine? If that's true, Shalom Aleichem, hi. It's been a long time. I see some other names. They're very familiar names from long ago, but okay. All right, and please feel free. If you have questions, you could either type them in, or you, if you like, you can raise your hand. Avram has his hand up. We'll allow Avram to have the first question. Avram, you have the floor. Shalom, Rabbi. Hi, Shalom. Okay, was the sound good? Yeah, Okay, good. How are we doing, Avram? Uh, very good. How's Rabbi? Thanks, God. Um, it's an interesting question. I understand a little bit of what Ramam said about um, Avram Avinu. Two questions. One is, um, it was a slightly different question, but um, the idea was that uh, I understand Avram Avinu going to, going leaving Canaan because he he has to do some mishalas for him to sit down and just not do anything. You expect, you expect him to at least a plant or to do send a shliach out to get some food, something. Uh, not just sit around and say, I'm just sending money from Shemayim. Uh, so I understand why he did some kind of a shalos. The shalos only has, why do you, why do you say, go down to the with everyone? Um, and I don't understand how it, how it's a chet also in Canaan. There is at least an eminent uh, threat of some sort. Right. And, uh, it's, right. In normal, uh, in normalcy, that should make sense if you have such a fear. Absolutely right. So why would that? Right. You're 100% correct. For you, for I, for regular people, it would have been a normal hishtalus. But the Ramban apparently learns that when Hashem told Avram Vino go to Canaan, Avram Vino was on the level that he should have trusted Hashem, that Hashem will take care of him. He should have known that Hashem will provide for him even in the famine. Now for you and I, it would have been a wrong hishtalus. You're right, because we get there to the famine, the normal hishtalus, normal ways of the world, you have to go provide for your, for your needs. But Avram Vino was on the madrega, was on the level that he should have trusted Hashem. Hashem told him to go to Canaan, and he should have trusted Hashem that Hashem would provide from there. He should have gone down to Mitzrayim and trusted that Hashem would save his wife, because again, he had that type of relationship with Hashem. He saw Hashem right there, and he was on the level that that's what he w- w- was required of him. Again, you're right. For you or I, it wouldn't have been, but for him, apparently it was. What would his style have been normally if he wouldn't have gone out of Canaan? I'm assuming when he was out of him, Canaan beforehand, he also did something in his hometown. Um, his right, but, but don't forget, Hashem sent him here. Hashem said, go to Canaan. So at that point, if there's nothing, nothing to eat, you trust Hashem that Hashem will provide. What do you do? You, there's nothing to do, you nothing to do. You wait, Hashem, listen. Hashem took care of Eliyahu with the, the, the ravens, right? Hashem takes care of Noah. Hashem takes care of the embryo and the egg. Hashem has many ways of taking care of... Uh, of people, so he should have had the, that sort of trust. That's how the Rambam learns here. Thank you. Okay, my pleasure. Okay. Please feel free to raise your hand uh, if you have questions, or you could type a question in if you're shy. Uh, um, okay, actually, I'm going to... Um, okay, let's take uh, Dina. You have the floor now. 
Thank you. It's more of a comment, I guess. Okay. It makes me think a lot. It's, it's something that's also helped me a lot over the years is, um, I believe, from Mishle, Shevayi Poltzadik Vakam. Yep. 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 Right, is what you're saying. And, uh, and like, like that it says that what makes it do it Sadik from falling is that you get up all the time. You fall, you get up. And that's what makes you a Sadik. But not what I did. Not what I've done. That's for people like the like But what I've done, after what I've done, there's no excuse. Hashem can never forgive me. I can't show my face in public. It's over. I'm done. You know what I'm saying? If you don't know what I'm saying, you got to... <laughs> you see, we have this incredible capacity to bend reality, sometimes in our disfavor. Um, many, many times we create these illusions that what I've done is so terrible... So inexcusable. So there can be no, uh, uh, and therefore either I can't admit to it. It's such an overwhelming guilt that I can't deal with it, or it just destroys me because I'm therefore worthless. And the ability to say exactly what you're saying—that yes, there's no what I did was really, really wrong. Uh, no excuse. No excuse. It was really wrong. And yet, a I can do tshuva. B I have other worthwhile things that I've accomplished that I've done. And having that balance, you're right, that's Sheva Yipol Tzadik, but it, 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 to apply it to myself is a lot trickier. It's easy to read about it, but the tricky part is to apply it to me in, in the real world. Okay. Thank you. But thank you for your comment. Okay. Okay, please feel free to raise your hand if you have a question. Grace uh, Tzadik, Shalom Aleichem, how you doing? I feel so bad. I thought about your question. i got to let you talk. One second. Grace Tzadik, you there? One second. I'm giving you the floor. Where'd you go? Did you just disappear? Where'd you go? Here you are. Can you hear me? Edward? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Shalom Aleichem. Sorry, Rabbi. Okay. Yeah, Shalom Aleichem. I'm okay. in the table tennis club every evening, so I cannot <laughs> talk too much. Okay, so don't talk. But listen, you listen. I'm a bunch of rabbis and everything, so I'm so not Edward, prepared to ask you a question. Okay, don't ask, but I'm going to ask you a question. Edward asked me Sunday night. And by the way, this Sunday night again, I was in Queens. There's going to be a Part two of the uh, of the seeing Hashem's hand in the Bria, um, Edward. Actually, I'm going to put you on mute so we don't get the, the backward noise. But I'm going to um, but I'm going to finish the asking. I'm going to finish your uh, Ed, anyway at the Sunday night. Uh, she was in Queens. Uh, Edward asked me the following question: If if someone could come back, could be the Rambam or, or the Rosh, but some if I could bring back somebody and ask them one question. What's the one question that I, I would ask them? Right? I remember you asking that question? Now, at the time, I didn't answer. And I realized, when I was thinking about it afterwards, that um, I didn't really have any question that I would ask them. There was no, like, if I could just get 30 seconds of the Rambam's time, if I could just get 30 seconds of Moshe Rebbe, there was no question. And I wondered, well, why is that? Is it because I'm dumb? Is it because I'm not <coughs> curious? And then, uh, Edward, you ready for the answer? I realized the answer. Because, excuse my saying it, I have the Rambam. I have Rashi. I have the Chovos Vovos. I have the answers here. That's what we have at our fingertips. Meaning, you open a Muslim Savior, you see the answers. You open a Derech Hashem, you see the answers. All the deep questions, all the mysteries of the world are there. It's explained in black and white. If you're not sure that I'm right, join the Derech Hashem Wednesday night, if you live in Muncie and you're a woman, I invite you to join the women's shir uh, on Derech Hashem. 
if you either don't live in Muncie or if you're not a woman, then you're more than welcome to either join us with Zoom or listen to the replay. But if the Derech Hashem goes through all the mysteries of creation, the ways of Hashem, exactly why Hashem does things, exactly. So I realize that the answer is I have the Rambam, I have the Rashba, I have the have the Chavos Vovos. It's it's here. So and I don't mean that as a pat answer, but I meant that really seriously. So anyway, but the question was good, so I just wanted to, to mention that. Okay, um, okay. So um, and just a quick plug: Mitzvahem Chanukah time. Here it is. This is actually one of the. This is the soft cover version of the real, not the pre-publication, the real book, the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. It's coming out. Uh, it's going to be in the stores. Mitzvahem Chanukah. You may be able to buy it online a little bit earlier, also. Um, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to see, I, and I have to tell you the greatest part about the book, the greatest part about the book, I think the book is, is, is has a lot of important material, but the best part about the book is the illustrations, because I had a fellow in Israel, Dove Berkon, um, I had to make 28 illustrations, and he nailed every one of them. I'm looking for one right now, um, I don't, I don't see it offhand, but it's the one with the, with the mirror, with the, um, with the, no excuse, uh, with the, uh, Traffic cop. I'm trying to see if I can find it. I mean, here's one illustration. If I, but I'm trying to find. Oh yeah, I'm not finding it. Anyway, the story that I mentioned tonight about the traffic cop uh, stopping me. Um, I have it in here. Some the illustration is here. Where is it? I can't find it. All right. Anyway, the book is great. Even if the illustrations aren't as great, even if you, even if I can't find the illustration, I'm looking for. Um, oh, here's a great line. Here's a great line. <clears throat> Don't ruin a good apology with a but. Don't take a very good apology and ruin it with a but. Some, there's a lot of, I'm t- there's a lot of, I think it's a lot of wisdom in here. It's, um, so look for it in Mitzvah Hanukkah time. <clears throat> if you have the, pre, um, the pre-publication copy, great. If not, <clears throat> Hanukkah time, you can get it on the site. Maybe a little bit before Hanukkah, we'll probably release it on the site, on the Shmuel site. But certainly going to be in the storm stores and etc. Uh, right around there, um, and and once again, I'd like to invite you all to join uh, the again the, the Shmuz Live is Thursday night, the Derech Hashem Shir is Wednesday night, and this week in Mitzvah Hashem Queens, I'll be part two of the um, it's a chizuk seeing Hashem in the world. It's it's a it's been a very very interesting uh, two part series about seeing Hashem in the world and the flows of Bore. Um, so I'd like to ask you to join me if you're around in the Forest Park Jewish Center. It will be also, it is broadcast on Torah anytime, I believe. Yeah, yeah, uh, is it? I think it is. I think it's broadcast, live stream on Torah anytime, I believe. Okay, I want to thank you for joining. I hope to see you next week. I wish you a good Shabbos and much, much atzlacha. Thank you.